episode 27 of Music Farmer. This is Mr. Ben Grimm, and that really is my name. We have an interview with Gray Parsons, a drummer, a teacher, all-around good dude. Had fun getting to know him, and he said something at about 9 minutes and 30 seconds in that I have to put a side note at the very beginning here because it was so bizarre and weird how I reacted to it. It gave me many pauses in editing because I had to go back and listen to it over and over and over again. I couldn't get past it. And he makes a comment about, I could be the Tom Cruise of music, maybe. But at the time of the interview and re-listening to this, I kept hearing, I could be the Tom Cruise of music, baby. I just rolled with it and said, yes, tell me about music, baby. And Gray went with it. So we talked about music, baby. And then it turned into, let's talk about CD, baby. So yes, that's a very strange part. Uh, It's not going to make sense. And I thought it was hilarious. But here we go. Here's Gray Parsons. I already did a sound check earlier. I'm just checking again. Meow, 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 meow. Do you have cats? One. You have one cat? Yeah. Do- not a dog person? Two dogs. You have two dogs. Okay. Little dogs. Two little dogs. I got one, one little cat. one and one small one. Kind of a smaller husky. What's your little one? She's like a terrier, little terrier mutt. I don't know, maybe a pug. Mm, okay. We're not quite sure. Uh, I call her dumpster mutt. <laughs> we have little little chihuahua and a little minpin chihuahua, three-legged. You have a three-legged dog. Mm-hmm. Min and minpin. What does that mean? Uh, miniature pincher. Oh, oh, okay. I get it now. Yeah, I had so never that, heard of that. That's though. that sounds like a crazy dog. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really. When you throw pincher, because we think of Doberman pinchers, and they're so like intimidating, but she's um, not that. Dobermans. Those are cute dogs, those those little miniature pinchers. Yeah, <laughs> she's pretty cool. But Gray Parsons, <laughs> thanks for coming. This is Absolutely. Gray Parsons. You're here. Um, I was going to start this show. We can go back to the whole high school band thing, I guess, and being you know not good enough all the time. according to the band directors that you're (laughs) under. But no, uh, I wanted to talk about Miltos and Hard Luck Lounge closing. I guess a somber note to start on, but yeah, just like places closing. You better go to Miltos Mm. if you like that place soon. Yeah, that's right. It is going. We went to Hutz a little while ago. That's either closing or closed. I'm not sure if it's closed. Yeah, yeah. yeah, That got announced a couple of months ago or maybe six weeks or something. That's when we went, like summer. Um, hard luck old lounge. haunts. I'm trying to think of what hard luck lounge is. Oh man, you never went. So, no. yeah. So super east, Seventh Street, uh, clubhouse, kind of a clubhouse for a lot of musicians in Austin, in mm. a lot of ways. But it had a huge beer garden, super divey spot that's now like before. Oh, wait, Hard Luck Lounge. Hard of Luck course, Lounge, yes, yeah. I've played there before. I always forget about that place. A little outdoor stage in the yeah. beer garden. Yeah. That's gone now. It's all getting eaten. Well, it's not gone, but it's quickly already. That part of town, like, that was a part of town, like, no one wanted to be in it. Like, even five, like, five or six years ago, but that's how quick things are moving. It's already getting eaten up, but, you know, by you know what. and <laughs> Changing super fast. Um, 
yeah, they had it was run really well. You know, those are Dennis O'Donnell, all those people, White Horse and stuff. Um, it was just a cool place. I liked it a lot. You know, it was a you could catch a you could catch an interesting show there. Yeah. I played a couple times over there um, with uh, the Heavenly States a band I was in a long time. Old, so old haunts. Um, what was one of your old haunts when you first started to get to know this city? Oh my heavens! I guess since we're talking about old haunts, I moved here in Miltos. Miltos was kind of an old haunt for me. I think for me, um, the first places I think of, I used to play. As far as play, places I played, which you know, I mean, to be honest. Um, I don't really go out. I'm not really like a going out person, sort of a generally little, maybe I wouldn't say I'm shy, but a little introverted. And You like uh, being at home? I like being at home, and, and I, I mean, I'm totally cool with being around people, but I'm around people a lot just through work, uh, you know, through through teaching and through playing. Um, and so I, I tend to um, seek that isolation when I can find it. Um, so, but but that notwithstanding, um, when I do go out, it's usually when I'm playing shows, and that's still at least you know several can be several nights a week. You know that I'm still out as a person who doesn't like to go out. Um, and it was like Room Seven Ten. I don't even know. Or yeah, you were around town, so Red River Seven Ten Red River. That okay. was like a place I used to play a lot. Um, and other other joints that I would play regularly. Oh my goodness, that's I mean that's the one that comes to mind the most. Hmm. Room seven ten was that on the corner? Was yeah. that that the bar, the, the bar rescue place that was changed a lot? No. Headhunters. No, it's uh, no. No, it's it's just north of there. Um, it is on the corner of the alley that's between Seventh and Eighth Street, and um, and it's been called some other bullshit for the last several years. I've, ne- I've never even stepped foot in there, um, but uh, but back in the day though, I played there a lot, and that's kind of weird that I can't remember other places I played. I definitely played Headhunters a lot. That place you were mentioning, which was there forever uh, when I first moved to town. Um, Mr. Fabulous was running that place still. And um, I played there with lots of different bands. But yeah, old haunts. I don't know, dude. It's all haunted. It's all haunted. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. um, I can't say that Hard Luck Lounge was a haunt for me, but, um, you know, when I started to to get out into the city, in high school, Miltos is where I hung out a lot with a lot of people because it's on the drag, you know, and that's a a lot of young people. Yeah. Uh, with, with campus being right there and, oh, Miltos and what is the other place that is now gone? Do you remember La Fun, that arcade? No. On the drag? No, I don't remember <laughs> You were at, at home. You were at home. That's <laughs> You're like, oh, I just went home. <laughs> yeah, there used to be... Uh, kind of right near where the Church of Scientology was. And I say was because I think that's now gone. Oh, I do remember what you're talking about. Yes. I, I think it's now a coffee shop. I totally remember going there um, when Dance Dance Revolution was huge. And people would, there were like a lot of like DDR games there that people would be playing. And I was like hanging out with all these swing dancers at the time and they were really into DDR. I think that game 
Yeah, I think DDR kept arcades alive a little bit longer. <laughs> I was never into that game, but that you know that's a that's a huge plus for you know the old arcade model. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was and there was that coffee shop that you could uh, smoke in. I can't remember what that place was called. Now it's been like Cafe Medici or something for a long time now. But. Well, there was always a coffee shop next door to the arcade, but I think now that yeah the um, the one you just said, I have a hard time saying that word. <laughs> the coffee shop that's there now, I think they now have the whole space or something. Okay. Possibly. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that Scientology finally a Chipotle um, right next door cashed out. That it's a Chipotle. <laughs> Chipotle is, you know, that's a that's an historic location of Chipotle. That's been on the Texas, the UT campus since the 1930s, I think. Um, oh yeah! Wow, dude. Yeah, that's a really historic Chipotle. <laughs> <laughs> They've kept the it land exactly is super as valuable. it was. <laughs> but, um, but no, that Church of Scientology, I, I always kind of meant to take that test um, to verify that I do, in fact, need Scientology. Because I'm sure everyone needs it after they take the test. You know, the test isn't going to show you don't need Scientology, is it? Good point, yeah. You're gonna, <laughs> you're, you could be this... Well, they're going to tell you... You're gonna be this super awesome, smart person. Like, yeah, uh, you're an engineer. Like, you need to be an engineer. You need more engineers or something like that. Well, I'm an engineering major. Like, you're that. Wow, my God, that was so. <laughs> I could be so the great. Tom Cruise of of, uh, of music, maybe. That would be cool. Yeah, music, music, baby. Yeah, tell me about. Tell me about. Talk about music, baby. Oh, it's CD. Am I talking about CD Baby? That's what I'm thinking about. CD Baby. I don't. How use CD it. Baby worked? You haven't used it, okay? Mm-hmm. I've used it with bands I've been in, um, but I didn't put my record on there. I don't know why. I just didn't. <laughs> I guess so. They were CD Baby was a site you could collect royalties from, even though if they were small. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and they help you track stuff, and um, you know, and and sometimes you can, they can end up helping sell some records. Um, but I just sort of figured, yeah, I don't know why I just didn't do it. Everyone does CD Baby, so I just thought I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> That's just how my mind works. So going the way of MySpace, <laughs> possibly. Have you heard that, or does it seem as if it's? No, diminished? I'm just totally just speculating. Yeah, maybe it's diminished some, not as used i don't know you know Um, i was really surprised to to see how ubiquitous it still seems to be um when i did my when i did my little record because like it was pretty ubiquitous like 15 years ago um and it still has this you know utility so oklahoma 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 yes so if i were to visit oklahoma where should i go and, and what should i do and I guess I should also say, you how you grew up in Oklahoma, mostly. Just, just tell me, yeah, like this is this is like uh, mostly Oklahoma, yeah, for a little while. Yeah, mo- almost the whole time. But my parents just moved around a lot, um, so I did live in Texas briefly. I lived in Georgia briefly. I spent a lot of time in Southern California, like the summers uh, after my parents split up. My mom moved out there, but Oklahoma was more or less where I was till like age twenty four. Yeah. And if you were to visit there, you know, I always say that Oklahoma is a great place to pass through. 
Um, <laughs> it's a very good place. You just <laughs> you just go, you start going, and then you just keep going until you're done, you know, and then you're somewhere else. Um, but it, but if you <laughs> but if you if you are going to stop there, I, I actually the the area where I went to high school and undergrad, um, Lawton, Wichita Mountains, just north of of Wichita Falls, Texas. Um, about an hour north of there is, is Lawton. And Lawton itself is really a pretty um, horrible little town. But the wildlife refuge and mountains, they call them mountains. It's generous. They're being generous with their like wording. Foothills? Yeah, I mean, the foot, well, but yeah, but they're not foothills of anything, you know. But they are apparently some of the oldest mountains on the continent. and uh, And they're just super rocky and kind of, beaten down and uh, and it's and there's a lot of do they push do they push there. that pretty hard there as um, far as a, an attraction you know not really nothing really gets pushed that hard unless there's unless there's like some corporate money behind it or something like maybe if there was like if they had their version of six flags or something which they don't then maybe that would be pushed hard but it's really it's really kept pretty um it's pretty chill and it's really just an area that you can go drive around and hike and uh, and camping. There's car camping and then there's also kind of more um, isolated camping where I think only like 14 people at a time are allowed to be out on certain parts of the land. And uh, anyway, it's cool there. Forts, uh, yeah, Lawton, Fort Sill, horrible. What city is Wayne Coyne from? He, uh, Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. Yeah. Yeah, totally. But their drummer, uh, Stephen, is from from Lawton. Okay, um, he was just a few years older than than me. Yeah, I totally forgot to like intro that whole Oklahoma thing before I was just suddenly talking <laughs> about Oklahoma. No, that's okay. It's good. <laughs> but I'm just interested because I've really never been there. Maybe on a you know maybe on a road trip, probably half asleep, like just never you know it was just like gas. <laughs> gas stops. Yeah. So I'm a little curious. Um and of course most Texans would be like, you know, why don't why don't be curious? Like why, you know, there's nothing there. Yeah. That is mostly true. Um but there are and actually an area of Oklahoma that I want to see that I've never been to um is the Panhandle of Oklahoma, which apparently, you know, that's like where it's kind of between Texas and New Mexico. Yeah. And apparently there's like this thing called Black Mesa. Um, that's like this kind of black earth and a little higher Is that kind of like middle of nowhere, Oklahoma? Like no one really lives there? Yeah, totally. Middle of everywhere. Yeah. That's like, kind of like New Mexico. Those little bordering areas by Texas are just kind of, there's not much. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like that. And I haven't gotten to see it, but it sounds pretty cool. Um, but Oklahoma is, yeah, dude, it's, uh, it's tough. You know, it's like living here, um, I have no, I don't care at all about sports, but I am always on Oklahoma's side because they have nothing else going for them besides like the Sooners and Thunder. Is that what they're called? The basketball team. Oh, the basketball team. I think the Thunder. Came, yeah, yeah, they came along after. Well, after I left there, but it's more tasteful than the tornadoes. I guess. <laughs> Is that what they were called at first? Oh no, no. But I'm just saying, if like oh. when they were coming up with that team, like <laughs> eh, the tornadoes. <laughs> That's that probably not good. good. I don't know. I, I was listening to a, uh, well, I I was listening to some Dwight Yoakam the other night because he was on a podcast. Um, 
It's called Set It Straight. It's the guys from Midland. Uh, they were talking about that song, Bakersfield, how the whole Bakersfield scene emerged from Okies going west from the whole Dust Bowl and looking for mm-hmm. going to California. Mm-hmm. Um, and how the, how the Bakersfield scene sound and scene kind of came alive from all that. And I didn't really um, know about that necessarily. I, mean, I know yeah, about Oklahoma Okies going west, but I don't know about this Bakersfield thing. Yeah, apparently they got stopped, you know, on the state border, like at state lines to, you know, be questioned and like how much, you know, it's like <laughs> how much money do you make a year? It's like, you know, we don't want all these poor, you know, super, you know, poor farm people coming into, just pouring into the state of California. Wow. Um, I think they were trying to like regulate that for a little while. But anyway, that's the segment on Oklahoma. Well, Dwight's that's definitely the- super cool. I love, I love Dwight. I missed him. He he was just at Nutty Brown a couple of weeks ago. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and I totally I forgot about it. That was a show that I really wanted to go to. I didn't even know Nutty um, Brown so was still open. I thought that I know, closed. right? It's still there, man. Wow! It's not really. It's starting to not be in the country anymore. It's like there's a lot of stuff popping up around it. And yeah, he played Nutty Brown, which is mm. I guess they still book a lot of marquee acts that like wild. that. But yeah, didn't make that show. But Dwight Yoakam, someone. He's just intriguing as far as his sound and country music goes. And he's a fun actor. It, like, I just rewatched yeah. um, Panic Room, like, I think no, yeah, literally yesterday. I know, Panic Room. Yeah, he's like, Dwight Yoko was like, in wait, that movie. Oh, my gosh. Who's this guy under the mask? I had no idea. And I really love him in uh, Sling Blade. He's just, like, terrific in that movie. I don't know if you've ever seen Sling Blade. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> he's, like, the drunk kind of step- stepdad figure. Yeah, just the just, worst. I'm thinking his name is Doyle. Maybe Doyle's one of the other, one of his friends. But yeah, he's just such a dick. Oh, we're gonna get the band back together. He does have a band. He's in a band. Go tune your fucking guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I got school in the morning. <laughs> well, the kids like got school in the morning. He's got to get up early. But oh yeah, and Vic know, Chestnut Dwight. was in that. He was in his band. Oh, that fucked up old town. <laughs> I don't know where I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm just thinking were they in what state were they in? Sling Blade. I think it's either I think it's Arkansas, Arkansas. or maybe North Carolina. It's something like that, you know. Um I'm trying to remember where they shot that thing. I cause I did look it up because it looks like when I was a kid I lived uh for a little while near Hot Springs, Arkansas, or in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And it kind of looks like that to me. Um, which is beautiful. I really, I really like that part of the country. You so you really have lived in a lot of different states as mm-hmm. just growing up. That, that's something I haven't really done. Uh, always lived in Texas. Of course, yeah. I've been out of Texas, but yeah, always. I've never, <laughs> I haven't lived in any other states. Um, so, so you've lived in Oklahoma. You said you said Southern California. Yeah, Southern Arkansas. California, Arkansas, Texas, um, Georgia, North Carolina. Pennsylvania. You guys were moving a lot. Now, North Carolina and Pennsylvania, that was me moving for college. Okay. Um, so that was Which I'm about to get to adult. that. Yeah, but, but as a youngster, though, yeah, you know, my parents were just, uh, you know, honestly, I mean, we were just poor and, uh, you know, kind of looking for whatever kind of economic opportunity. My dad was like a barber by training, but, um, you know, a high school dropout. And so he. Which is pretty cool profession. Yeah. You know, that's a. 
You know, it's like kind of like being a blacksmith, I guess. It's like, I'm a barber. That's a solid profession. It totally, and for him, I mean, it was really from where he was coming from. Like his dad was like someone who had gone to school until second grade or something and then, you know, grew up in the depression and just like worked in the field and stuff like that. And so my dad was kind of born into that world and then he managed to get to, you know, having a trade. And that was like a thing to aim for. It was just to have a trade uh, that hopefully you could work, you know, move to a town and find a job. But then we would just Which is now these days even around. probably better than a degree sometimes, I think, at actual trade. I think, I think so. Was yeah. he doing the hot shaves and all just the whole classic like, barber? Classic yeah. barber. Cool. Totally. Yeah, a lot of, um, yeah, totally. The straight razor. And you can do that, that anywhere, I guess. So, And that's kind of what they were doing. Just like, well, the work's dried up here. Um, yeah, stuff like that. You know, it would be like silly stuff with my family. Like we would go like, like, oh, this, you know, something's up with this aunt and uncle. And like, we're going to go try to help them out. You know, like, I don't know why the fuck we were trying to help people out. We didn't have that much to offer, you know, but it's like like... my family needs us, (laughs) needs me or yeah. So we got to go and Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah. So it was, it was just a lot of, you know, a lot of kind of, um, the grass is always greener sort of thinking, um, which is which is a common thing to fall into. They're like, oh, if I just can get over there, it's going to be so much better. It's right. like, well, the same shit that was bogging you down here is probably going to bog you down there. So were, were, you, were you guys going from small town to another small town that were kind of just the same crappy exactly. problems? <laughs> exactly like that, yeah. Oh, man, you got to go to Bakersfield. That's where you, you guys should have went to Bakersfield. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was at least, especially when I was a little kid. We lived in these little tiny towns out of that were kind of like oil oil boom towns in the seventies, um, in like along Interstate Forty out in Western Oklahoma, and uh, and it would just be a place. You know, my dad would sometimes work as a roughneck on like oil oil derricks yeah. and stuff like that. Um, or my parents would sometimes like pick like pick cotton you know if it was like a certain time of year they would like be out well that's some oklahoma shit right there hardcore dude (laughs) yeah hardcore that's hard work (laughs) yeah bailing Uh, hay my yeah my my dad's parents were like um you know sharecroppers or whatever you know they would take care of another person's farm so i remember going out and bailing hay or you know picking watermelons or stuff like that with them well i was so i was just thinking about you know you're just kind of you're kind of on a wing and a hope. You're just kind of guessing and praying that you're moving on to some other place. You just have a small idea that things are going to be better and that there's more opportunities. Or you just heard through the grapevine because you don't have the internet. You can't get on the internet and go, okay, things are trending in this city right now with this industry. <laughs> you can't like pinpoint exactly how your life is going to improve. It would usually be based, and, and granted, you know, I'm just trying. And I know you were a kid at the time. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. You weren't, you weren't yeah. in charge of those expeditions. And I'm, and I can, and I can only speculate as to my parents' um, thinking or whatever, you know. But um, yeah, it was largely small town to small town, and and I think it would usually be where we had some family, or where there had been some work before. You know, maybe my parents had lived there five years earlier, you know, and they were like, well, let's go try this place again. Maybe something can happen. So it was just a couple of short telephone conversations of, well, they sounded optimistic, so that's good (laughs) enough. Exactly. Pack your bags. We moved all the way to Georgia off of that one time where it was like, hey, my 
you know, my uncle was supposed to have this job for my dad, but then we moved all the way to Georgia. And there wasn't there. And there wasn't <laughs> actually a job, and we just, like, had no money. You what know? was the job supposed to be? I don't even know. Just something. Yeah. And Georgia, so there's no oil. Because it was like my my rich uncle, who I you know had this uncle who more farming stuff. No, he was totally like um, he was like a. I'm I'm trying to think of what it was that he did. He ran kind of like a mortgage company, um, and ended up accruing a bunch of properties and businesses from people like mortgaging their stuff and then him getting it. And then eventually he moved to Southern California, and that was why I was in Southern California. Like a title too. loan company, like a yeah, but like kind of like a big version of that, where okay. he like he had like a little chain of video stores. He had he had like fifteen or sixteen different businesses by the time it, that he went to prison. <laughs> right. Yeah. Anyway. Oh boy. <laughs> but that's Oklahoma, crooked Georgia businessman. <laughs> yeah. My dad works for. A guy in a small town, um, not that far from here, that ha- owns a lot of stuff like real estate and you know just a lot of different businesses and you know a lot of like duplexes and you know the, he owns like the land that these little car dealerships are on and stuff like that. He he works for this guy, and, I, and I've met him. I just hope he's a good person. I, I really do. <laughs> as far as my dad goes, you know he do, he doesn't. You know, he's kept my dad employed for a really long time, and um, yeah, but he's just—he's that kind of businessman. He just has so many—he owns a lot of stuff, and he's done really well for himself. And maybe he's just a really s- smart businessman. You know, he has a family, um, but you know, yeah, you don't—I don't want him to be the crooked Georgia guy, <laughs> like it tur- as it turns out. You know, five years from now or ten years from now or something. Well, um, I don't even know that my uncle was really. It's hard to say. There, I've heard a lot of different stories about what happened. He just got, him. you know, he just got in trouble. He just hand. He had he like he had to... his kids in the business, and they were maybe doing some untoward stuff. I've also heard it that it was like he was becoming so successful that he like needed to go get mobbed up, basically, and he wasn't willing to get mobbed up, so he got set up. I've heard it. Oh, right, a yeah. bunch of different okay, ways. I, I don't know what happened. Honestly. Mobbed up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I could see how, man, that would be trouble if you just had, you know, you're just dishonest businessman, but you have so much stuff going on where you can't keep track of it, and you know, other people notice that, and mm-hmm. or you know, they identify your weaknesses, and they they know how to take you. And just Very, a lot of things are mobbed. I mean, I just think Italian that's... sub subcultures. Yeah, or <laughs> businessmen. You know, or, yeah, different. You know, different. Um... It's a very natural, or at least that's I view the world a lot like or that. The Dixie, in, uh, Dixie Mafia, is you that, know, cartels. A... You know, essentially, I mean, essentially, the world runs on cartels. Uh, some of them are above board, you know, or so called above board, and some of them are not. But but they're all essentially cartels. You know, there's the Republican cartel, there's the Democrat cartel, there are the oil cartels, there are the drug cartels, there are the legal and illegal drug cartels. You know what I mean? It's like. You know, power just gloms together as, you know, and tries to keep itself moving up. That's my primitive view of the world. No, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, we were, we were like, we're on to, I was thinking for a second, it's like, wow, we've pitched a whole TV show idea. But I think it's been done, you, you probably, I think you said you don't watch that much television 
or Netflix or something like that. But there is a show called The Ozarks. Oh yeah, I've seen Ozark. Ozark. Yeah, yeah, that's like that's like Dixie Mafia stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, you have good intentions and maybe you're a good person starting out, but then you just get exploited by <laughs> the powers that be, and you get all caught up and all that stuff. Wow. And I don't know if yeah, that guy. That guy was already pretty screwed by the time he got there. Jason Bateman's character. Oh right, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, they came and yeah, they came like the cartel came and got him because they knew he was this awesome accountant. He was good with numbers, and, and then you know they could squeeze him, and, and, and he would do whatever what they wanted. <laughs> yeah, dude, an age-old thing, an age-old problem of humanity. You know, corruption and. Uh, I was watching The Sopranos. I rewatched The Sopranos recently, the whole show again, and that the ending is really disappointing. <laughs> you you find it disappointing? Yeah, it really kind of did. Like it just like it just it just drops out, and it's just. I think the last couple of episodes of that show, I really do love the show. Um, you know, they kind of like quickly tie up a lot of loose ends and like there's just these things that just happen that really super quickly that are not explained. Um, and then the show just kind of ends. When I first saw it, I, I think I liked it. But the second time that the very end of the show was just like, I wanted, I wanted way more. <laughs> it was like, yeah, long pause. Like, mm, yeah, I, I needed more in there. I, I really, it's funny. Like I really initially, I really liked the ending when I saw it. Um, and I accepted it as an open-ended kind of ending in which we don't know what the actual circumstance is or whatever. Um, and, and in my mind, I thought, oh, okay, you know, he things just keep on going. You know, he's just living his life. And then later on, and it was actually our, our mutual friend Neil who hooked me to this analysis where they were like, hey, da-da-da, there are all these things that set up that show that he was definitely murdered, you know, and that was like, by this guy who had walked in and went to the bathroom behind him and they came yeah, back out. Yeah. And so when I when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, that I actually like that. I don't know if I like it more, but at least I was like, okay, they didn't, there wasn't just a cop-out ending. It was kind of obtuse and difficult to see what it was, but there was an ending there. Um, as far as things getting, I mean, I think that happens so often where it's like loose ends try to get tied up too quickly in other, in other points. And I don't remember specifically about that, but I did like... I liked that final moment. That of the whole show. episode. Oh man! Now we're now we're on the Sopranos. That whole episode when he gets shot and he's in a coma, and he's like a d- another person. You remember that one? Oh. What was that? That it's, it's so it's so different. It's so unlike anything in the show. And they they just kind of like after that episode. I mean, it's just everything. He suddenly just like he's he comes out of the coma and he's just like back to business immediately. <laughs> and they just like don't even. <laughs> Like it's that's none of that's explained. Um, it's a hard episode to remember because it's very like he's kind of like at the airport basically, and he's in like purgatory or he's in some weird place of like you know he keeps seeing this really bright light in the distance. Oh yeah, and he's like lost his wallet and everyone. He's like been confused. It's like this identity. He's being confused for this other man. And he's just like, I'm not this person. Why does everyone keep calling me whatever the name is in that episode? Mm. It's very strange. Um, but I guess to them, whoever wrote that episode was like, well, he's in a coma. So he's like, yeah, it's Dream very logic odd. applies. <laughs> or... Dr- right, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're supposed to suspend that the rest of your 
thoughts for the show for the what do you what do you think about the show? I've gone back and watched some episodes, but I haven't rewatched that whole series. But that was like the first thing that I really, um, you know, watched in quick succession. You know, where I saw it in just a month or something like that, a month and a half. I hadn't seen any of it, and I just watched all of it. And um, that's how I watched it. I've got really binged on it. Well, I actually, when it first was on HBO, I watched it with my mom a lot, um, which is strange at times. Strange show to watch <laughs> with your mother. It's very violent, and there's a lot of nudity. And I was younger at the time. <laughs> I just knew it was a really good show. <laughs> so yeah, you had that, you know, that's like that weird thing when you're watching a movie or a show with your mom or your parents and a sex scene comes on. You're like, <laughs> it's just kind of weird for a second. So tell me, so tell me about Carnegie Mellon. Yeah, talk about your time at Carnegie Mellon. Let's get off the um, the mafia. <laughs> let's see here. Well, I went there in 2000. Um, I had gotten my Master of Music um, of Percussion Performance out in North Carolina, and I in- initially intended to move right to Austin after I graduated um, in ni- 1999. Um, but instead, I met this dude who taught percussion at, uh, at there at Carnegie Mellon, and um, we hit it off, and I, I took a summer music program um, out in uh, Brevard, North Carolina, where he was, where he was uh, on the faculty, and then he offered to give me free, you know, free lessons, and up in Pittsburgh, so I would travel up there, and then I got into the school um, simultaneous with basically having to stop playing <laughs> because of like repetitive stress injury and all this sort of stuff as I so I like went there for like a semester like you couldn't even hold drumsticks anymore not really yeah I couldn't I couldn't really practice anymore I totally screwed up my body um not understanding what a corner I was driving myself into I was like oh man I'm having a lot of pain but I'm just stretching you know and I was still just practicing like six hours a day or whatever however long plus you know time in rehearsals and ensembles and um, yeah, dude, I totally had to stop. And and during that time of being stopped, I was like, why am I even here? Why am I doing this? You know, and and then I had, um, I mean, going to Carnegie Mellon was like the realization of so much stuff for me. It was like a dream come true, kind of, to be in this sort of environment. Um, with, it's very, like, sound, the best. It sounds very intimidating and prestigious. It, it is, you know what I mean? And it was. And I, and I always think it's in New York. I always, I, cause, <laughs> cause, because of Carnegie Hall, every right. time, yeah, I always, I always thought that university was in New York, and it's not. It's in Pittsburgh. It's in PA. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Which, dude, I loved Pittsburgh. And I mean, honestly, if, you know, it's like it, my time in Pittsburgh was much more valuable to me than my time at CMU, because I didn't really do a ton there. My time leading up to it was way more exciting when I was traveling up to Pittsburgh um, and going to see the symphony. Uh, You know, the teacher played in the symphony, too, and meeting, like, Andre Previn, you know, or hanging out at a party where he was at and meeting him. And, um, you know, just, like, like these kind of folks who had realized this, like, kind of upper-middle-class dream of, well, if you just, if you just work this hard on this stuff then you can get these results in these kinds of jobs or that was how it looked to me and it seemed like they had like the answer like they had like quantified how to do this 
Um, and then I realized, like, no, of course not. It's, it's still, it's still like totally up in the air. And you have to actually yeah. want to be there. And and the further I got along, the more I realized that I didn't actually want to be there. And I was just being there because I needed to like fulfill this ideal or this wish or this whatever, you know, this kind of like social climbing quest that I'd been on since, you know, like moving around poor Oklahoman to being like, oh, here's this doorway to, you know, some kind of, you know, stability and um, this and that. And uh, yeah, it wasn't really that for me. Instead, it was like, oh, I, it helped me realize that I needed to become a person. I'd spent no time at all in trying to become a person. I just spent my time being a student and a musician all through my 20s. And um, so I, I was like pretty just broken. I mean, I'm just, you know, it's like, and, and I was like, oh, okay, I, I have to. And I, and I felt broken about not being able to stay at CMU. Like I could have stayed. It wasn't like I was asked to leave, but I just, it was going to be another probably semester before I really could play again. And I was like, I don't even really want this. I don't even really care. Enough. Yeah, that's kind of heartbreaking for a while. <laughs> it <You> was. <laughs> it totally shattered my reality for a little bit. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of how I felt. Because I didn't immediately launch into a university right after high school. You know, thing, there was, things were kind of stuck in a holding pattern and kind of on pause. And I felt confused about, you know, not moving so fast. But I think that's good in some ways when you don't you kind of have to you need to grow up a little bit and kind of mm-hmm. uh, slow life down for a second and not have all this pressure and like you go right from high school to you know back into another frying pan of just competitive like pressure and yeah dude insane stuff yeah I, w- I was too afraid to stop you know um because of seeing my economic situation that I was coming out of as a teenager um, I was like, I just need to, I was afraid if I ever got sidetracked on anything, you know, I didn't party, I didn't do drugs, I didn't do anything. I just like worked. I mean, I went to school, um, had girlfriends, you know, whatever. Um, but, um, but I really kind of took it really seriously and, and for a really long time, you know, and then, yeah, then kind of like you're saying, you know, there finally was that point where I was like, I could kind of take that or had to, I had to do something to um, discover something of more meaning or more meaning to me in life than just um, position and status. Status, yeah. Being a part of a being a part of a prestigious university. Yeah, yeah. Because I wanted to be a university teacher. That was like my, you know, from the time I started college, pra- practically, I was like, oh, this would be great. I want to be a I want to be in this environment forever. I want to be, you know, the academic right, yeah. dude. Um, but uh, then I realized I didn't. And then it was cool because I got to be like, oh, well, I can go back to what I first loved about music, which was just playing drums, playing the drum kit, you know, not playing in orchestra, or, you know, playing timpani and all this other kind of stuff that I was into, but just playing the kit, writing songs. Um, and... Um, yeah, dude. What started seeing a therapist, which was enormous. Um, but that was Carnegie Mellon. Was really I always feel, yeah, you know, it's like I went to school at Carnegie Mellon, so I like to admit or I like to say that I did. But really, uh, it was all the stuff around it that was way more valuable to me. 
Um, yeah, I found out that yeah, Ted Danson and Ethan Hawker, alumni. That sounds That's believable. A, I think so. There, there are so many, um, especially actors. So many actors that I'll I'll look just I can't remember the other day I was huge looking up huge theater somewhere. program yeah I mean it isn't actually huge but it's really prestigious it's very small it's very select like the percussion program I was in there were twelve people and at any time that's all that they'll take is twelve and that's undergrad grad school and then I was in kind of a post grad program and I think the theater program is the same way they they only take a handful of people um, so you get really close attention from excellent teachers. So whiplash, you know what I'm talking about? Um, Any whiplash moments? Not in, in that in that uh not at of time? all there. No, not there. You know, I not definitely had those kind of teachers um who were really my more so my undergrad teacher and and it's been kind of funny like people who knew him, you know, afterward after the movie came out, um I had a few different friends hit me up on Facebook and just be like Hey, dude, have you seen have you seen Whiplash? Like that's like, you know, whatever name deleted. I'm not gonna say his name, but um, but that's like this dude that I, I mean, he was he would demean you. Um, the thing there were so many unreal unrealistic things about that movie, like the blisters on the hands and this and that. But the thing he, that I yeah. thought it really captured was um, the claustrophobic and and singular kind of connection with this other person who is um, intimidating on purpose, um, demeaning and whatever else on purpose. They're a broken person themselves, you know, and they're they're furthering that brokenness um, because they have no, you know, not enough conscious ability to act against it. And um, yeah, dude, I mean, that was, that was, and, and I even also know some of the people that that was kind of based on. And there are a couple of really well-known um, percussion teachers, and one in particular um, who's, you know, at kind of the program, the drum set program, uh, UNT, um, who's just very famous for being a constant prick, total prick. Every time <laughs> I've ever seen him, he's a total prick. And I think that guy was, you know, a heightened version of this particular teacher um, plus maybe some other folks. Now, I haven't heard Damien Chassel or whatever say that, that, that this particular guy was part of it, but I've heard a lot of other drummers speculate that this particular drummer from University of North Texas, this teacher. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but no, but at, you and, at, at Carnegie Mellon, I mean, it was not like that at all. Uh, my teacher there, he was hardcore, but he was an amazing person and um, a top-notch human being. You know, uh, just like uh, I'm not saying he was without flaw, but he was a stand up person. He would not he would not say anything to you that was whatever that was going to hurt you um, unless it was made totally out of truth. And it contained like a solution. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Yeah. Unless you just like, OK, you just totally fucked that part up because you just never practiced it. Didn't. And that's what. Yeah. That's but that's another here. thing, you know, and he would and, and he wouldn't then resort to saying you don't practice because you are a piece of shit as a human, whatever. You know, he would just be like, why don't you work? Why aren't you? Do why are you doing that? You know, don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very it was very different. And um, I learned a lot. Yeah. Just from my first conversation with that dude, I learned a ton from him. Uh, my teacher at, at CMU. Um, so yeah, that was that was Pittsburgh. Worked at a jewelry store. 
That's another place. Yeah, Pittsburgh. I've not visited Pittsburgh. Really neat town. I worked at a jewelry store. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. There was a guy who was just leaving there. Um, who you doing uh, like repairs and stuff? Or you just so, just a, retail like a super fancy jewelry store? No, like a, <laughs> like a super. It was amazing. It was, it was a, a super pawn shop. Lazy. No, no. It was cool. It was like <laughs> it was um a, a this place that was really the importer for this German designer. And um, and they they imported his stuff, and then they were wholesalers, and they would just ship out orders around the country or around the world, you know. Um, but then they opened a store downstairs in the same building that was just kind of a place to sell off the stuff that hadn't sold over the internet or whatever, you know. Um, and so there would just be like just a few shelves of things in there, and it was in what's called the the strip district. Um, which is more like where you would go to get authentic um, cannoli and pizza and stuff like that. You know, real strong Italian area markets. Hot beef sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Promonti's, this famous hamburger place, is right by there. Um, and uh, and so yeah, it was just the store that almost no one ever came into. Many days, no one would come in, and I would just be sitting there earning my little fee. And I would I could take in my guitar. They would let me take in my four track recorder. I, I would totally be like demoing songs and reading. I read all like all the big books. That's well, a good college job. Yeah, it super was a good college job. Oh my god, it was the it was best downtime. Yeah, amazing, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> it really was. Did you get any amazing. commissions on anything? No, Did nothing you know, like that. Like I just like got that. a straight up hourly rate. There was a minute where um, I was going to take over as their accountant. They were like, "Hey, we'll send you to some classes. You know, you, I didn't have to have a CPA or anything. I just needed to you know know some accounting." And uh, I was like, "Fuck yeah, I'll do that." You know, they were gonna, you know, pay me some little wage, and um, and then I started going to a class, and I was like, "Oh no, it's miserable." <laughs> and then a large Italian man came in one day. <laughs> no, came, it was cool. Came and got the money. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like that going on there. Funny, <laughs> funny enough, in spite of how it could have been. Oh man, yeah, never worked in a jewelry store before. Yeah, I had a lot. I mean that's kind of a, that's a well, it feels like a lot of responsibility because you're surrounded by such valuable items. But see, these were like just semi-precious stuff. There was like these were like hundred to three hundred dollar rings, okay. stuff like that. Not expensive, you know, or I mean, to most people, not expensive. Yeah. Um, so impressive list that I have here. You putting in work with Zumunchi and the Heavenly States and the higher ups. Uh. Minor mishap, marching band, the lovely maybe sparrows, lovely sparrows. That was something I didn't, I didn't, I didn't uh, get into in in preparing for this. But if you want to talk about the lovely sparrows, do it. Yeah, Coco. Um, no, there are a million bands. I don't have to talk about any of them in particular. <laughs> <laughs> the higher ups is your. That's your band. That's you me. Front. Yeah, I'm front. Eh. <laughs> Um. Yeah, the Heavenly States. That's a. When did you when would you say first formed? They started playing the one. Yeah, something like that. Two thousand one or two, three. And I played with them. I just stopped playing with them about a couple months ago, but I played with them from uh, two thousand twelve to now. But yeah, they were around for a bit before that, and some cool records. I really like I really like those guys. I like that music. Well, there was a lot of press flying for a little while. Some uh, some media credits and 
good things like that? Some yeah. bright, bright flowers blooming? Yeah, sadly, that was before I was in the band. Um, <laughs> you know how, you know, it's like... The, <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. No, but it really is. I mean, it's a tough business, and, like, I think they... Um, there was a lot of cool stuff happening. And, and I mean, and when we played together, we still also did some cool things. Um, but I think, in a way, the wave had crested by then. The music industry was changing so quickly. You know, in around 2007, 8, 9, I think those were their hottest years. Um, and then things kind of cooled off, and then they moved out here um, from Oakland. And, uh, and then we made, I mean, the record we made is terrific, but we only released it on purpose. We just released it analog, you know, vinyl only. Okay, ask me some more questions. What about other the, schools well, I wanna, kind of went to? <laughs> did you want to talk about the higher-ups some Please, more? Please, I would or love like to. Like the eternal return? If you have any questions about it, if you want to um, talk about anything, did you write down I think I said, about it? Well, I think I had said, at, I don't know, at some point, which this is six months in the making, you know, like we were <laughs> six months ago, we were supposed to do this, and then I don't know what happened. And uh, I had said at one point that that, that r- album kind of holds like suspends a lot of like tension and uh, I don't know what do you th- what do you think about that of tension you said yeah like tension and kind of like suspense I guess is what I'm trying mm. to say. Um, I'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think. Um all of the songs. It does sound very good. It sounds. It's a great. It's a great record. I like it a lot. It sounds great. Oh, dude. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, I I had a real blast making it, and it was, um, you know, a dream come true. To, to I'd always wanted to do an album where I did everything. You know, where I wrote it all, played it all, did all the art, did all the stuff. You know, it's like what I wanted to do since I was seventeen. So, um, twenty eight years later, I did it. And that's uh, very satisfying. Gotta be. It was very cool. It was it was a really good feeling. And there were a lot of I there were I had a lot of enjoyable times listening to the album. I haven't listened to it now in a while, but um but back when I was first finishing it, it was really it was really cool. Every time I would get every time I would get it back, like, you know, I, I did all the recordings at home, but then I got it mixed. And then when I finally got my mixes done, it was like I listened to it all the way through again with my mixes and I'm like, yeah. And then I got it mastered, and I listened to it again, and I was like, fuck, yeah. And then I got the physical CDs, and I'm like, yeah, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, then that's, and then that's maybe the last time I listened to it. But, but each, one of the, each one of those thresholds, um, to hear it and be like, dude, like these are songs. These are totally songs. I'm doing it. Look at me, Mom. These are, yeah, they are definitely songs, man. Yeah. <laughs> at times, so what would you say, there are, are there some themes in there that you could point out? Definitely. Um, you know, for me, the, the whole the whole thing in general, or the the notion that I was kind of getting caught up with, with the idea of, of whatever, of eternal recurrence or eternal return that, um, <laughs> you know, that... Eternal occurrence. Yeah. Have you heard this concept? <laughs> that, um, that, you know, you relive your same life, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and, and I guess there was a long time ago... Um, before I had gotten into that concept, but where I had thought about how that whether or not there's reincarnation, that maybe there are recurring types, you know, or that there are recurring types and that um, however much we may be individuals, we also are types and, and the types that we are serve a function in whatever culture we're living in. Um, you know, and, and there's a certain type that I've consciously and unconsciously chosen to be you know um 
whatever you know I won't even go into detail about it but but all that all that sort of stuff um, so then in making the recording I liked the idea of on the one hand um, if you if you could kind of I was trying to present different sides of what it means to be a person and particularly what it means to be a man you know and that just kind of happened almost accidentally like the last several songs that i wrote that ended up on the record and that's really cool um, actually yeah they were all philosophical yeah yeah they were all about manhood and and kind of about um manhood gone wrong you know in in one way or another um and then there i feel like on the song on the record there's kind of two kinds of songs there are songs that are about kind of characters and then there are more sort of personal like first person type songs that are more about a person trying, you know, it's about trying to be a decent, kind of trying to be a decent human being, like trying to break out of the patterns of society and culture um, and and family and the things that um, that bind us to artificial sense of self and um, that kind of thing, and and to try to at least have moments in the album where um, where it's about really be being getting inside you know getting inside yourself and inside your approach to life or um so i don't no, know i like how deep you're digging here no i, I like it no i'm i follow you I, I do follow you yeah it's that's super deep stuff and that's <laughs> yeah i mean yeah that's yeah to me that's what it's um or that's what i saw it as and and it kind of unfolded you know it's like those songs were recorded over 7 years um, so the first one I recorded is the last one on the record, Oklahoma Rain. And then the second one I recorded was, um, A Stitch in Time, which is the first one on the second side. And, um, and both of those songs, I mean, it's funny when I listen to them, they're both really vulnerable. You know, I sang them at that, I sung them back then. And, um, um, and they're more kind of personal, and then there were a few other songs, and then there were kind of these more character study songs, which were more of the first side, King of All the Earth, um, The Hanging Man, all these kinds of things were like these just snapshots of like, like I say, mostly male, male-centric behavior and doing. Um, and then there's a lot of, yeah, like whatever, a lot of coded language and stuff in there that is fun for me. So maybe because of because of limited human consciousness, you know, human beings are can only be like there. There's only so many types of what a, what a human can be or what a person can be, and that's always repeated throughout history. Yeah, kind of, but but in a but a, but in a good way, you know what I mean? Or just that there's always. Um, and, and maybe what I'm saying is so vague that it even doesn't have any meaning, but, but that there are always, um, a range, there's such a range of ways in which a person can flower into what we can become, you know? And, um, and a lot of it is, um, the same. I mean, it's just mechanical. It's just the nature of, it's an easy, it's very easy to fall into mechanical being, um, you know, and a lot of the songs are are kind of about that, or or what I what I call the devil in man. You know, it's like um, the aspects of ourselves that are driven by um, acculturation, you know, instinct, whatever. You know, the the those constructs things that are, of society. Yeah, constructs of society. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and there's I should so have gotten that philosophy degree and I would have killed this conversation right Dude, now. Me too. I should have done <laughs> something besides read some philosophy on my own and not really probably know what I was reading. <laughs> but um, but nevertheless, you know, I mean, I, I think, um, I don't know, that's the stuff that I'm, that I'm interested in. Um, and, and a lot of the times I'm just trying to make myself laugh. I mean, to me, there are a lot of the moments in the songs that totally make me giggle where I was just was being kind of playful. As far as recording goes, uh, you did this at home and it sounds great. Oh, thank this you. This was like a, yeah, this is a home recording. It sounds really good. Eight track reel to reel. And I had, uh, <laughs> I had, uh, taught, I had reached out to Sonic Ranch you know, say so yeah, Sonic Ranch. Yeah. Well, I was driving. I was driving to Arizona recently, and that's on the way. I was driving to Arizona to see my sister, and I reached out to Tony at Sonic Ranch to try to, you know, do sit down with them and like do something for the podcast or like see what any kind of like journalistic, you know, content I could <laughs> create or record or anything. And it was the most. He he responded so quickly. And it was the most polite rejection I've ever gotten. <laughs> it just politely declined because they keep things, you know, pretty. I, I don't think they do any kind of media-related anything out there. It's just like that's like not never happens because it's just a creative. It's like we. This is a space to create. It's not. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's also like a yeah. It's a shelter. It's a um, well, it's a possibility, high possibility, that there was some high-profile pop star <laughs> like living there, living oh, in, wow. living and recording there. You know, you you never know, really. Like he, the, the, they have worked with a lot of like Mexican pop stars and many, 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 many others. You know, down to small bands from Austin and um, that have recorded there and. And he's like, well, no, we can't have you like right now because I can't, I'm not going to say, but that's <laughs> like, there's probably so many reasons why I couldn't be there. But it was cool to, it was cool to hear from him. And, um, you know, I got a, such a quick response. But yeah, I tried Sonic Ranch. I tried, I tried to get on, <laughs> I tried to get on that property. I made an effort and that would have been so cool. But maybe, you know, at the very least, I think that maybe he looked at, maybe he listened to the podcast or checked out music farmer for a second or <laughs> for, for one day. And he's, he's at least aware of it. <laughs> that's, that's some kind of consolation, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah it's a, it's out there and is it such, and it's a cool, had it's such a beautiful property too. Yeah. Where is that located? It's right. Uh, it's like a 45 minutes outside of El Paso. Okay. Um, kind of in, there's like a pecan tree grove and, Mexico is, you know, the the border is like right there, and yeah, but it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, like a li- it's like a little under an hour outside of El Paso. Wow, yeah, I've never been out that way. I've never been very to El secluded. Paso. Yeah, it's a cool uh, going going through there. I stayed one night in a, in a kind of an air strange Airbnb. Um, yeah, El Paso. It was a lot more. It was a little more mountainous and like hilly than I thought it was going to be. Mm. Hilly. That word sounds weird, but uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I always picture like being L- kind of flat L- out there. That's kind of how that's how I thought it would be too. It was not that. Fl- it was not very flat at all. 
Interesting. Uh, yeah, there was lots of peaks and valleys and elevations and... Um, I thought a t- I saw a Top Golf right on the highway. That I thought that was odd. A what? A Top, you know, a Top Golf, like a it's like a driving range kind of entertainment oh, place. Oh, interesting. Which, which was like you could smack. It was like right, you know, Juarez was like you could smack a golf ball into Juarez, Mexico. So I, driving through, I saw that and just thought that was out of place. And then I saw an Albertsons grocery store. And I haven't seen one of those <laughs> since I was a kid. I thought those were totally extinct. And no, there's an Albertsons in El Paso. I used to drive out that way. But from Oklahoma, Interstate 40, that's like my way of, you know, whatever, getting to Arizona that I know more. Haven't really ever You're done You're going that through all the stinky ten. Lubbock towns. Yeah. The natural gas seeping out of the ground or something. Exactly. That's, that's, that's a smell of my childhood for sure. Does Oklahoma smell... <laughs> it doesn't smell not bad, as a does rule. it? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, no worries. Well, that's good. It smells like every place else. Um, <laughs> but it, but it is true that it out there smell, in the panhandle, it doesn't, smell, it doesn't smell like the panhandle of Texas. That's what like, I was there's say, a different yeah. stink in the air, of like, right? Yeah, because that's where my, that's where my dad's family's from is Panhandle, Texas, and we would. I remember going out there as a kid, and I would just be like, "What? What is that smell? It smells it's like, like creosote everywhere, burning off all that from the oil field and stuff, and then just." Yeah, it's just hanging in the air. Yeah. <laughs> so is there is there any music or songs that kind of lives in the back of your mind or that's been living in the back of your mind and it just hasn't materialized yet or that, that higher-ups stuff with Eternal Return kind of puts you at a homeostasis? Um, no, there's a bunch of stuff. And I, I, have, a, I have a bunch of songs written and, and partially written um that I've not bothered to start really recording yet um but I but I really <laughs> but I do kind of know you know it's like as I was kind of mentioning you know like when I when I made that record um there are certain songs where I can really hear that I was being vulnerable and other songs where I was being less so and and after I made that record I thought um that's kind of the next stuff that I do I hope to get to some even more kind of personal material. Uh, you know, I, I put myself into this record, into this eternal rec- return record as one must, but um, but I can't say that I'm, nece- you know, in some of the songs, maybe I'm the protagonist or the person being sung to also, but um, but not always or, all, you know, by any means. But I kind of want to, and I didn't sing about relationships or anything, kind of on purpose, romantic relationships. Um, so there's stuff like that. It is, that yeah. I noticed that it is into. very different. And yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah. I, I was really trying to write sort of, I don't know, yeah, half mystical, half you know, concrete sort of songs about humanity. And now I want to do songs that are more about um, feelings. You know, stuff that I tend to stay away from in a way. Um, certain parts of my feelings um, that I just think would be a fun challenge to try to do it and like it if i can do it and believe in it that would be really a nice feeling you know um if i could sort of be vulnerable about some stuff that i haven't been well, especially if there's songs that you're going to end up playing at shows yeah definitely you want to <laughs> definitely like <laughs> like them too. yeah well i can't even i mean i can't you know it's like i will say yeah like all the songs on the record i, I believe in all of them as songs um and I and I really have to, you know. I, I guess that's part of why it took me 27 years to write like a whole album because to have that to have like 11 or 12 songs that you 
believe in all at once, you know? That's oh really goodness. cool, man. That's super cool. But that, but that's my that's my aim. I mean, I have this whole thing in mind of what I want the album to be. More like 17 songs, some of them longer songs, some of them just little snippets. Um, like I say, more about more vulnerability. Um, I don't know. I have some have some images in mind, but nothing's nothing's been recorded yet. An auto and and <laughs> an audio epic on humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this yeah this would be. They don't yeah they don't have to be seventeen long songs or anything. But but I really I really like that. So a lot of my favorite records are um, things where there are little, just little bits and pieces in between fuller songs um, or odd songs. Like I think about rec records like um, The Cure, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. That was one of my first favorite records as a teenager. And I think it has probably 17 or 18 songs on it. And uh, and they're all really different. Um, and to me, that just seems really fun to try to put together like a real smorgasbord of of stuff, of sounds. And you and like the weirder, more off offbeat stuff in between, like the of the beaten path. I guess it is where I tend to work. Like, and, and I always feel like maybe it's lame of me. I, I, I'm always really impressed when I hear writers who just play normal, you know, like three chord songs and they sing just stuff that's really apparent on its face, you know, like what it is. Not that it doesn't have any deeper context or value or something or that you can't get more out of it. But, but, um, but when I go to do that, I'm like, dude, this, there needs to be one more chord here, or I need to put some different notes in that chord, and then I need to be like whispering something in the background, and then, <laughs> and then I need to have the lyrics mean like three I things. I want mysticism. At once. Yeah. yeah, mysticism. Yeah, that's and that's. Always, and I can appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, because you're adding. I like layers, and you're adding just more depth and levels to. Yeah, any yeah, adding more to to an already you know you have a solid song in the works and you're just add add and add dad layers yeah. to it. that's cool yeah just kind of like yeah and especially you know certain note choices um, I mean I've always been much more of a like I say I love the you know the cure since I was a kid um, you know much, definitely kind of a Pink Floyd Radiohead sort of listener um, but also someone who I just really like pop songs or things that can be still somehow catchy so um which those guys did, of course. They were all pop acts, essentially. How do you fare with an accordion? Um, I have one in my attic. I taught myself <laughs> how to play. It really is. Yeah, I mean, I had it out for a long time. That's I such had... a random question I wrote down. I just thought it would be funny. I, I, I learned how to play uh, Come As You Are. I remember I got the accordion, and I was really, I don't know why, I was really obsessed with learning how to play Come As You Are on it. And so I kind of got to where I could use the left-hand buttons and the right-hand keys. And I learned a couple of tunes, and um, and I even recorded one thing with it, an instrumental thing uh, that I wrote, uh, where I used it as the melody. But um, that's about it. I need to get mine tuned up. Nah, fuck that. I'm never going to use it again. I don't how, do you get an, how do you tune an accordion? Yeah, you, you take it to someone who knows how to get not, in there. Never and drop it. <laughs> they just like they have to like retie the reeds, um, or I don't know if they, I don't know if they, seen, yeah the inside of an accordion. I haven't looked at it. I just have a mental image of it that it looks like a bunch of like um, oboe reeds or you know hmm. but bigger. But they're but they're definitely kind of like double reed. 
Maybe they're not double read. Maybe they're, I don't know. Yeah, man. Mm. We need to <laughs> we need to look it up yeah, on YouTube, opening up a, an accordion. Yeah, that's got to exist on the internet. Yeah, it was just like, how are we going to know about this? How, how am I ever going to see this? Yeah, I'm more of like a, you know, I like to use the Moog. I think I used to that thing on almost every song on the record. Um, and uh, Casio keyboards and vibraphone. Those are all kind of things that are, that I have around that I use more. But the accordion is really cool, though. It's such a great sound. Anything with wind, you know. Growing, it's been growing on me. Yeah, so would you take a banjo, uh, accordion or banjo? I don't know. Which one Which one would you take first or um, be more apt to listen to? Accordion. Accordion? Yeah, I think sure. so. Yeah, I think I, I think me too. I don't really care much. I mean, the banjo, I have a banjo too, yeah, also in the attic. Bluegra- you're not into bluegrass? I'm not. No, I'm not. And you know, I mean, <laughs> I this town, shit. this town loves bluegrass right now. They really. Do. I remember when I first moved down here, and um, and I was like hanging out at some. You know, there was a dude who would have this like Friday afternoon hang, and um, you know, just drinking beer and whatnot. You know, a bunch of people would go to it. You know, a few dozen people, and uh, and they would always be playing bluegrass either in the background or in real. You know, people there jamming, and um, it's just like. That's weird. Like I didn't understand that it was a thing that it's like why are why are you into this? What is who when, you know, what what made that happen? I, I don't know, it's lost on me. Um some, there's not some enough extended parts chords. Of it, yeah, it's kind of grown on me, but I could see how I think maybe because they play it, it's a lot of up tempo. I like up tempo stuff. Mm. Maybe that's part of it. Yeah. Um yeah. But it is yeah. cool and of course live. I mean, if if any you know, if you if it's live and a person's and that's like a thing that you have to be doing in the room, you're going to really be playing the instrument. It's not backing tracks or something, you know. And that's always um, cool if you're in the room and the people are awesome at it, and um, and they're bringing the energy and whatever. I I could like bluegrass in that setting. I saw Ralph Stanley uh, when he did his ACL taping, the Man of Constant Sorrow dude. Oh, okay, gotcha. All yeah, right. back in like aught one, back when I first moved to town, um, he did an ACL taping, and so that was bluegrass. <laughs> I've seen. Yeah, my stepdad loves that that soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Ralph Stanley. I just never knew his name. Yeah, yeah he. Um, no, he's probably. Yeah, he's an amazing banjo player. Does he play mandolin too, or does he just had? He just probably tour with a mandolin player. Oh. <laughs> That's a, there's an edit right there. <laughs> um, but yeah, man. Chords. So we're so we're at an hour. I'm sh- I don't want to stretch you any further. But I have one more question, please. And I think this is a really good one. I'm getting really tired. So <laughs> this has been really exhausting so far. <laughs> more so, so exhausting. Like drums is yeah, drums is piece of cake. You know. So okay. So up to this point. In your life, what's a story you would tell in in your old age to children or grandchildren about anything at all, or about something? Well, you know, related? a story. Yeah, well, it doesn't have to be music related, but you know, just a story or just anything from your life. From my life, personal anecdote that I would want to share with um, my grand. But I mean, you understand, like what I'm saying is, is like a story you would remember. And keep want to retell, you know, at like eighty five years old to a child, hmm. you know, like that would always stick with you. 
Well, damn, I thought it was a good question. <laughs> well, but no, you got to think about it. Yeah, it's a thinker. Yeah, you got to think. <laughs> That's a total thinker for a second. And and, I, and in a sense, I have to try to think um, what stands out and what can be encapsulated within a reasonable length answer. Um, Maybe a crazy weekend in New Orleans. Anything like that? <laughs> you know, I mean... Crazy weekend in Pittsburgh? I, I like things that involve... Um, well, just like, you know, thinking back to the record and, and, and the kind of music or concepts that I'm into, um, I'm, I'm always interested in um, either the transcendent or things that could be interpreted as being transcendent moments or elements or concepts. Um so it would be something around that. There, there are a few things I can think of that, that to me kind of like broke the fourth wall of reality in a certain way. And maybe in one of them was when I was uh, a really little kid, like four, three or four years old. And I kept having these recurring dreams of fire. I was, I was like <clears throat> coughing in my sleep and my parents were oh, like coming wow. in and waking me up. That's a dream up. I've never had before. Yeah, and I'm just like... You know, I'm like freaked out. Like, there's fire. You know, yeah, I mean, and I'm I've like had having this night. You know, but never fire. Ooh. Yeah, I, I haven't really either, except then. But, um, and I had it night after night, and then it came like exactly true. Like the the apartment across the hallway caught on fire. Um, smoke starts leaking into our into our apartment. Um, you know, my parents wake up. You know, this time I'm waking up screaming and yelling, but it really is happening, and. Um, and my dad, you know, went over and pulled the guy. He'd fallen asleep in his in his apartment, like sleeping on the, you know, whatever, smoking on the sofa. And uh, my dad, like, pulled the guy out. And um, and I was just like, you know, they, my grandparents lived right by there. And they just, like, took me over to my grandparents. And I was, like, losing my shit. I was like, this is what I've been dreaming. But now it's happening, you know. Um, so I think, you know, there – and I've had a few other moments kind of like that where um, – but that's that's the most prominent one where it's where it's like, you know, reality is contained within these apparent, you know, boundaries and, and our experience doesn't overlap beyond certain ways or whatever, you know. But then it's like these certain things happen like that, um, that I'm like, that's that's stuck with me my whole life. You know, it's still I still can remember that night, you know, waking up with the fire and um and just being like, oh my gosh, what what is this world? <laughs> like, how what where does where does one thing stop so, yeah, and fourth, another fourth begin? Wall, yeah, so fourth wall, fourth wall of reality, yeah, broken and too real. But there have been a lot of fun adventures in life, and there was a time when yeah, when I sort of went on different adventures, you know. Uh, <laughs> I lived in a in a VW bus in Austin, Texas, you know, for like a year. Did you do half. the gypsy thing for a little while? Yeah. Um just like parking on Elizabeth Street by the Bolden Creek Cafe and going in there and using that as my place to get ready and have breakfast and you know, just kind of meeting all sorts of strange and interesting folks. Well you parked in a good spot. Yeah. It's a good parking spot. <laughs> it was pretty great. I was right <laughs> on the creek. Um down by the river. Um, but yeah, dude, any, any, I think anything that, a per, anything you can do to, um, just to get yourself out of whatever daily thing you're in, 
You know, if you can find some way, and I, and, and I say this as a person who I'm incredibly, um, I fall into routines really easily, you know? And so um, if I can find, with those times that I've managed to pry myself out of those things and just totally venture off into some different place, that's that's been pretty cool. So I guess, yeah, we're way over an hour. Okay. Um, the higher ups, yeah, there's a band camp. If you want to listen to that, that's on a band camp. Is there anything else you want to mention and or uh, back up what we've covered? The higher ups also recorded band, uh, songs with a band called Sheboygan that are out there. We made a record called Triple Fantasy um, a little while back that um, I had like a, I did like a third of the songs on that, and uh, and I still really like those songs and that record and the stuff that I did with those guys. Um, of course, the Heavenly States. If you want to get in contact with them and and buy one of those LPs for fifty bucks, um, it's totally worth it. It's a really good record. Highly recommend. Yeah, def- super good. Um, Great music. And uh, if you live in Austin, come to uh, the Sahara Lounge on a Saturday at midnight and listen to Zamunchi. That's that's a good time too. Super long residency. <laughs> Super long, yeah. For the forever residency. It's a forever residency. Yeah, it's the house band, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I never really had a ton of residencies, and I have that one and another one right now. And it's it's pretty neat going to a place week after week, you know, and like feeling, you know, like you've kind of whatever. Does he there. does he just have a house full of really interesting and cool instruments that you get to kind of tinker with? Or Ibrahim? No. I mean... No, nothing no. that you wouldn't see there. Nothing that you don't see at the club. Okay. Um, yeah, back at the house, they just have a piano and, um, you know, the same stuff you see, guitar and cora, um, all those cool little percussion instruments and whatnot. And honestly, I haven't really gotten to play any of that stuff. I just show up and play the drums, and that's like his world. And I try not to, you know, step over there or whatever or be like in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> not that he would necessarily care but you know I don't, I don't know it's one of those things I always feel like have you gotten to a, play the Cora? no no but I really it looks cool yeah it looks really the first time that I played with those guys um, I was just like filling in and I remember watching Ibrahim play that and uh, I was just back there you know trying to keep the drums going and I was like oh my gosh I have never seen such a phallic instrument it is very kind of yeah it's like a yeah. Totally, and there was I think that night maybe the <laughs> yeah. like samba school or something had played. There were all these kind of like Some, you know kind somebody of said it girls you know <laughs> women there young ladies, and um, they're like standing nearby, and I was like, oh my god, dude, he's like, he's practically inseminating these women with his cora. I've got to do this gig more often. This is quite a place to be, because <laughs> it's all like, it's all actually. Cool. I mean, I think there again. I think that's a thing that that culture needs. There's nothing tawdry about it. He's not try. You know, he's not like some piece of shit who's like trying to just get whatever. You know, he's like bringing this energy and this way of relating and just sharing that. And it's it really is about the music and then what comes out of the music. But it's not. I don't know. Does you know what I mean? I don't, there's less. Yeah. There's there's some real authenticity there. That um that that I I really enjoy and and some real sensuality that's kind of divorced or decoupled from a lot of the things that it seems to be coupled with you know in our in our culture like 
commerce and whatever. <laughs> money. Yeah. Bitches and money. <laughs> well, well, cool. Gray. Thank yeah, you so thank much, you. Ben. Gray Parsons. Thanks, Gray. Thank you for talking with me. You, I really appreciated your questions. You asked me really good questions. Awesome. That's the show. Ow! Give me one more of those.
There were stories of her comforts and the favor of her tides. I was on my way to Memphis from a thousand miles outside. On my way to Memphis from so very far outside. A thunderhead above me and an ache in my chest. Followed me for days, you know, it gave me no rest. I moved along the best I knew, my destiny to keep. But the heavens opened up and the water got too deep. Those heavy clouds rained down on me and the water got too deep. Myself in Memphis just a little bit too late